continuing our series um, from Acts and looking at the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32. So Acts 9, 32, page 1706 in your Bible, if you're using the one in your chair. And um, as I get ready to read this, I just want to share with you that this is not a nice little neat three-point sermon that's wrapped up with a bow. But today is going to be, I'm going to be sharing my wrestlings. I'm going to be sharing my thoughts. I've had many hours of reflection this week, wondering what is the message for us today. And so um, I'm trusting that the Lord's going to speak um, but I want you to know that it may sound a little different than a normal, my normal um, framework, okay? So, here we go. Acts 9, starting at 32. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Oh, I said it wrong. Aeneas. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, and he helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. And so as we consider the word of the Lord, we're reminded that um, Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples. And he said, but wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. So they had this commission, and then they had this anointing at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were to go out and make disciples. What we have here is actions consistent with disciples who go out to share the gospel. Peter was out 
wandering around the country, sharing the gospel, but also visiting believers to bring encouragement, to bring hope. And so Peter's on his way, fulfilling the commission in whatever way the Lord would have him. And then he notices someone who's paralyzed. And obviously, this is someone who is, um, it tells us, has been in this condition for quite a long time. So muscles would be atrophied. The ability to, to stand and to walk would not normally be there when somebody's paralyzed, right? And so this constitutes not only a healing, but a miracle. A miracle. God performs a miracle, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He gives all the credit to the Lord right away. Jesus Christ has healed you. This was a miracle to bring glory to God. And all it says, all those who lived in Lydda and in Sharon. So Peter was going northeast from Jerusalem as he was going on his way. All these in the coastal lands started to hear about this and they turned to the Lord. Then we have another miracle, a resurrection miracle, a bringing back to life miracle. Peter wasn't in that town when it happened, that this wonderful woman died. This woman was a disciple. Luke makes sure to point that out. She's a female. She's a disciple. She's running a social justice ministry for the widows. She's looking in that, in that, um, culture, the widows were absolutely, um, they had no resources of their own and they were at the mercy of somebody that would take care of them. And so this woman is running an effective, a very important ministry and she gets sick and she dies. And Peter was over in another town, but the disciples call him. This was going to be a four-hour brisk walk to try to get to that other town. And in that culture, they tried to bury by sundown. Very occasionally, they put it off for a couple of days. But it was very urgent that they go ahead and bury because of disease and so forth and their belief system. And so um, so Peter takes off on a brisk four-hour walk. All right, now why did they call him? Did they call him to come and mourn and grieve with us? You know how when somebody dies, the family comes, friends come from all over. Was this what was going on? Well, they they tell him, um, please come at once, come quickly. So there's really the indication that there was some faith that God wanted to do something or that his presence was needed soon. And so he takes off on a four-hour brisk walk to go and remember Peter doesn't know he's not all knowing he just knows he's been summoned and so he's cooperating with the Lord and I bet he was praying on the way wondering Lord what do you have what do you have and he goes and he encounters all the grief the griever the grief they would lament they would sometimes even hire people to come in and wail and cry but these are all the widows They knew her personally, and they're showing, just like if grandma dies and you pull out, like, this is the quilt grandma made. And I remember when she did this little thing for me, and this pillow was on my bed, and she made it for me, right? Like, they're saying, oh, we love this woman. We love this woman. And she's died. 
And Peter sends him out of the room and he kneels down by your bed and he prays. He doesn't have the ability, the authority, or even probably know exactly what's going on, except that he prays and asks the Lord. It doesn't tell us what he prayed, and I'm actually kind of thankful that it doesn't, because otherwise we would take it like a formula and go, okay, if anybody dies, then we'll kneel down by the bed and we'll say these words, and we'll make it into something that actually would be like magic. But this isn't. We're in a relationship with the living God, and we can pray and bring our needs at any time, And then we listen. And apparently, because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, and we know that Peter had given credit to Jesus when he healed the paralytic, and so it must be that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, gave guidance that the Father wanted to raise from the dead. So here we have it. We have two miracles. We have great faith. We have cooperation. We have the kingdom advancing by miracles. The territories growing out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we see the mission advancing. And this is a beautiful story. And this is God's word to us. And this week, I've been wondering, and Lord, what's the application How does this apply to us? What does this mean for us today as we sit here and listen to your word? Well, certainly God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that crossed my mind. Oh, actually God healed, had people healed and raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, two different stories of a child that was dead, raised to life. And then Jesus comes, and there's three different stories of raising to life in three different Gospels. And so Jesus, fully human and yet fully divine, there was healing, there was resurrection in Jesus. And then we see this in Peter. And so the Lord using Peter to raise from the dead... And so the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, and he can raise from the dead. Hallelujah. That's actually, friends, our hope as Christians is that we're going to all be resurrected. When Jesus returns, if we've already passed, our bodies are going to be raised. And so this is good news. But we could preach the omnipotence, the all-powerful God in creation. And we can look at the creation story and say, God is all-powerful. He speaks and life is created. And that would be a really good application and a good thing to say, yes. But this passage is about more than the all-powerful God. It's about an all-powerful God who chooses to work through cooperating human beings. There are not these miracles happening if we don't have humans that are cooperating. If Peter was not willing to look and to speak and exercise authority and say, stand up. If he doesn't say, get up, Tabitha. 
And so it requires faith. It requires cooperation. And so the Lord works through his people. And that's where I feel like a story. I want to tell you a story. Now, stay with me because I want to tell you this story, and I'm going to help you understand why I'm telling you this story in a minute. Our staff went away on staff retreat. And I think you remember me telling you this, that we went away and had a surprise. But we also had something that they knew was coming, is that we were going to a cottage, and we had the privilege of being on a boat, and it was a hot day. Well, we've had this in other years where we went, and I sat on the boat, and I watched the staff swim and enjoy themselves in the water. And I thought, that looks like a lot of fun. But this year, I decided... That looks like a lot of fun, and I want to get in the water too. And I know how to swim, but they had said that this water was about maybe 70, 80, 90 feet deep in this spot. And so I sat on that boat, watching other people jump in, watching other people slowly get in the ladder and go down, and they were swimming. And anyway, and I think, I want to get in the water too. And I know how to swim, but I really like that life ring that's there on that boat. I think I would like to get in the water and hold on to the life ring. And so I go down the ladder and I hold the life ring. And I know, like, some people like to idolize their pastors. And I'm helping you not do that because, (laughs) right, like, I want to be fearless, but, you know. It's 90 feet deep. So anyway, so I get in the water and I'm floating and I'm holding onto this ring. I'm holding onto this ring. People are swimming. People are practicing their floating skills. Um, people are doing beautiful strokes and putting their head and turning their head. And I know how to swim. But there's something going on in my head. And it has, I think, something to do with the way I was raised, where my mother would say, If you're at the edge of the Grand Canyon, kids, stay back. Don't get close to the edge. We go up in the Ferris wheel, and she says, don't look down, everybody. And she holds us like this, do not look down. I think it made me think that somehow gravitational pull, if you get close or you look, it's going to just take you down. And so in this water situation, even though I know how to swim, There's something going on in my head that's keeping me from swimming. And I'm thinking, somehow by gravity, I'm going to the bottom of the lake. And um, I had to tell myself, like I'm floating. They don't know I'm having this conversation with myself. But I'm floating, holding on to this. And they're laughing, and they're swimming, and they're doing their thing. And some of them are jumping off the boat, and they're doing cannonballs, and they're doing whatever. And I'm holding on to this ring, and I'm thinking... I know how to swim. I want to let go of this. And so finally, I just kind of quietly, I thought I was doing it completely unknown to anybody, but I just let go, and I start just doing a side stroke, and it felt really good. But I was just following the line. I thought, I'm going to swim to the boat, the back of the boat, and I'm just going to stay right by this rope so that all along, if any time I need it, it's right there. But I'm swimming, and then Mark says, Pastor Gina, you let go of your ring. Yes, I did. All right, why am I telling you this? I feel like that we can cognitively know 
that God does miracles. And I believe that we can even say, yes, I believe that he works through people. Friends, that's like holding on to the ring. But if we don't exercise faith, let go of the ring and start participating, like I wouldn't be really swimming if I didn't let go and move my arms and legs. And if we are going to participate in God's miraculous healing, even resurrection work, we're going to have a participation to do. All right. So I want to say that when I tell you that there's a participation, that I know that some of you are already actively doing these things. You are swimming, you are jumping around, you're cannonballing, you're diving in, you're going for it, and you're having lots of fun, right? We call those the enthusiasts, all right? The early adopters, maybe, the ones full of faith, and they're just, boom, they're so excited. Yes, I want to go and raise people from the dead. I want the Lord to use me in this way. I want to, I want him to use me to raise the paralytic. I want him to use me to help someone that has loss of hearing to all of a sudden hear again. I'm willing. Lord, use me. Use me. Use me. And then there's others that I think we believe. We believe. And actually... Maybe we do or don't know how to cooperate, but we believe, but we're holding back. And I wonder if it's some of those tapes. I wonder if it's some of those comments or those things that we've experienced in the past that maybe hold us back. Just like what my mom, bless her heart, I'm not saying anything negative about my mom, but you know, just that, like kids don't get too close to the edge. It kind of starts to put some kind of a, Worldview that I think gravity is going to pull me down. Well, what maybe have people been exposed to that make them think things that actually they believe God would do this and even might want to do this in situations to bring some healing or to do some miraculous something to bring glory to himself, but maybe they hold back from participating. And I think sometimes it's our worldview Sometimes it's just what we've been exposed to, what we've been grown up with. And in the Enlightenment, ever since scholasticism and people, and it's, this is, God wants us to use our brains. So I'm not saying we need to dumb this down. But actually, I believe that we need to actually ramp it up and use our brains and think about this and really say, okay, Do I believe that this is truth and this is truth for us today? And yet we've got a culture that has negated some of God's truth or posed questions. I read a quote from an Oxford um, scholar who said that they kind of, um, a lot of people criticize Luke because he included too much supernatural and the miraculous in his gospel and in Acts. Uh, excuse me, the Holy Spirit inspired scripture. What is in Luke and in Acts was from the Lord. We believe this. The scholar went on to say, rather, we should be grateful that he made a thorough account of how the Lord works 
because it's attested to in all the rest of the New Testament that the gospel will be accompanied by exorcisms, by healings, and um, by miracle. All right. I really appreciate this um, writer, this theologian, Craig Keener. He wrote these, it's two volumes on miracles. The reason I got onto his work is because he wrote a um, commentary on the book of Acts. If you look in Acts, like in your Bible, it's this many pages. He's got a commentary about this thick on Acts, and that's just the first volume. He's got four of those. It takes up about this big of a pile, and like words, like words upon words upon words. He looks at all the history, the culture, the language. He's so detailed about what we can learn from studying the book of Acts. And he wrote these two volumes on miracles. And the reason he did it, he said, miracles, the credibility of the New Testament accounts, the credibility of scripture and the miraculous accounts of what the miracles happened. And what he did is he said, are miracles real? And he set out to say yes. And then to say that um, sometimes, this is his second premise, and I'm paraphrasing it to make it more understandable, but basically sometimes it takes more faith to believe that there isn't a God who does miracles than it does to look at the evidence. And so what he does, and it is fascinating, I spent many hours reading the accounts of modern-day miracles. And he looked at every nation, and he looked through church history, and he gives a detailed account over and over and over in summary format. There are probably 50-some pages of bibliography of all these different writings where he cites every place that he studied and found these stories. And so, friends, I sat and read stories from this country and that country in this era and that era. And faith started to rise in me because the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is working among his people. And he tells this story about healing of a woman that they visited regularly in the nursing home. Every week they went and the woman was wheelchair-bound. She could not walk. And one day he says... I saw a sincere man who I knew take the hand of the elderly woman who had not been able to walk since I'd known her. To the horror of the rest of us in the nursing home room, including the woman, Don commanded Barbara to walk in the name of Jesus and lifted her by the hand from her wheelchair. He said, I was terrified that she was going to collapse in the room. So he said, if you were saying that I had faith that day, he said, I was terrified and kind of like, what is what is this guy doing? She immediately began to walk, though at first hesitantly, scarcely believing it herself, and after that day began walking regularly and very happily, though initially using a walker for security. He said, at first I was too shocked to believe what was happening, After she found herself to walk, she regularly expressed appreciation that she had been cured from, uh, cured that night. And because I saw her every week after that, I knew that it did not relapse after the excitement of the moment had worn off. And so, modern day miracle.
Not only did he include miracles of all different countries and all different types, he looked at blindness, he looked at the inability to walk, he also looked at resurrections. Are there any of those stories? And I want to tell you that I was grieving as I read these stories because I thought, why don't we hear? Why don't we hear that the Lord raises from the dead? Why don't we hear that more? But he said, there's, there's something that is kind of like people just, if they don't understand it or they can't explain it, they question, they're skeptical. And the people, he didn't say this, but I'm saying that whoever publish, you publish what will get purchased, right? And the people who, who read scholarly works don't like surprises. They don't like anything they can't understand or explain. And so the demand for such a book maybe isn't there. But friends, we need to know that our God heals, that he saves, and he even raises from the dead. And so two short stories about raising from the dead. Are you interested in hearing? These are from the United States. This is from um, Memphis, Tennessee in the 1940s. There was a woman by the name of Mother Jordan, and she had been diagnosed with cancer in her throat. And she was 33 years old, and she lost her ability to speak. She was in the hospital. They sent her home, said there was nothing else they could do. She tarried and lived for nine years with the cancer, not being able to speak. It ate through her throat, and I'm sorry to gross you out, but mucus was coming out of her neck. She died. And they called her daughter home from the hospital to come home that her mom had died. Well, the morgue had sent a hearse to the home to pick up the body. And yet it says that, um, let me just, I'm just going to pick this up and read it. So um, in 1949, Mother Jordan's daughter Catherine had gotten to work when her supervisor received a call for her to come home because her mother had died. The entire neighborhood had known of Mother Jordan's illness, so many people were standing outside and a hearse arrived from the J.O. Patterson Mortuary. Hearing of Mother Jordan's passing, Bishop Mason, widely known as a man of prayer, arrived before the mortuary could take the body. He prayed and rebuked death, and life came back into Mother Jordan's body. When Catherine Taylor reached the house, Mother Jordan was on the porch in a pink nightgown, dancing and praising God. Although the doctor had indicated that the cancer had destroyed her ability to speak, from that day forward, she spoke until she died of natural causes in 1982. She lived many more years being able to speak, and she was out dancing and praising the Lord in her pink nightgown on her porch where everybody could see while the hearse was there to pick her up. Amen? (laughs) This is our God. All right, one more. This is from Friday, October 20th, 2006. 
a well-known account from Dr. Chauncey Crandell, and um, it was on local and national television about this particular being raised from the dead. He was a renowned cardiologist down um, in Florida, and this person came in, 53-year-old auto mechanic Jeff Markin, checked himself into the hospital at West Palm Beach, Florida, and died of a heart attack there. Emergency room personnel labored for nearly 40 minutes to revive him, unsuccessfully shocking the flatlined man seven times. Crandall was called in to certify the obvious. There was no point in continuing to attempt to revive the man. Crandall recounts that Markin was not merely dead, but he was obviously dead. His toes, his face, his fingers had already turned black. Crandall concurred with the obvious conclusion the patient patient was declared dead at 8.05 a.m., and he wrote up his report. He went on to visit his scheduled patients, and then it says, he felt suddenly an extraordinary compulsion from God's spirit to return. This is the cardiologist. He initially but only briefly resisted this compulsion, but then he went back to the ER. The nurse was disconnecting the IVs and preparing the body for the morgue by sponging it down. Yet Crandall suddenly found himself praying over the corpse, Father God, I cry out for the soul of this man. If he does not know you as his Lord and Savior, please raise him from the dead right now in Jesus' name. The nurse glared at him in astonishment, but Crandall instructed the emergency room doctor who had just walked in to take the paddles and shock this man one more time. The doctor protested, They had all recognized that Markin was beyond resuscitation because after six minutes, you know, there's really, it's bad. The doctor protested, but nonetheless, he shocked Markin's corpse. Suddenly, the monitor, which they all were watching, moved from a flat line to a normal heartbeat, which would have been extraordinary even if the heart had stopped only briefly. In my more than 20 years as a cardiologist, I've never seen a heartbeat restored so completely and suddenly. He was breathing unaided. There was no brain damage. And this cardiologist was able to talk to this man about his second chance at life the following Monday. Documented on television. And yet what happened? People said, well, maybe this, maybe the, maybe there was some mistake. The cardiologist put his reputation on the line to be able to bring glory to the Lord. He went in and his co-workers glared and they're frustrated with him. What are you doing? Because they're thinking if you resuscitate at this point, even if they did start up, this is going to be a vegetative state. But the Lord had a different plan that day. He cooperated. He prayed in Jesus' name. Glory to God. And another person has the opportunity to accept Christ. The author points out that when people bring these stories forward, there's often such resistance or criticism or skepticism that they actually can get shunned. They can risk their reputation. Actually, I think this scholar in writing this work risked his academic reputation by writing on such a topic. But I want to say, shouldn't somebody...
be talking about our God who can do such things? And shouldn't we be wondering how he might want to manifest himself today in the world that needs hope? Friends, I'm driving here to church this morning and I'm passing house after house, people on the streets, and I'm thinking, do you know Jesus? Do you know our God? Do you know the hope that he could bring in your life? Do you know that you can face brain cancer with peace if you know that you've been saved and that you've got more hope beyond this life? And I think about where Peter ended up. Peter, who had just been worked through so mightily, just a passing comment at the end of this passage, and he spent some days with the tanner. Remember, Jesus said, go out and where you find a place of peace, stay there. And if not, go on. He found a place of peace with the tanner. Do you know in that culture, that was like the lowliest of the lowly? The tanner had to live outside the city. At a time when women didn't have any rights, they gave the wife of tanners legal rights to divorce their husbands because the smell was so atrocious. This was the place that tanner got to stay. There wasn't any pride. There wasn't any perks. But Peter was willing to serve the Lord, and I imagine face a lot of questioning, even while there was this amazing response to the Lord's mighty work. And friends, I think that we need to be ready. If we're going to follow Jesus, it says we won't always be understood. We might be misunderstood. But would we be, and why would we be motivated to cooperate? Why would we be willing to let go of a life ring of like maybe some something we're hanging on to that says, I think this is going to take me down if I do this? I had to think about this this week. And this is what I thought about. When I stand before the Lord and I'm an ordained minister, he's going to hold me to account. Lord, what do you want to come out of this? What application do you want? And I feel like the Lord said, Stir up faith in my people. Because when I return, I'm going to be looking for faith. And so it may be messy. And honestly, I've been in some situations where people are exercising gifts and they're enthusiastic and other people, it's like being a lifeguard. And um, so some people are swimming and the little ones are swimming and then the bigger kids sometimes are getting too rowdy and they're jumping in and doing cannonballs on top of the little ones and you're kind of going, watch out, watch out. All right? So as we're grace spaces, we're learning how to use our spiritual gifts and willing to exercise faith. It could get a little messy. It could need some teaching. It could need some helping in understanding these things. Are Pastor Dave and I willing to be lifeguards along with the elders to try to help make sure that things are decent in order? Yes, we want to do that. But even more, we're motivated by seeing that when Peter exercised faith and when he said, rise up and walk, and Tabitha, get up, that all turned to the Lord and followed. And friends, that's what our hope is 
is that our neighbors and the world will know of Jesus Christ and his power to save, to heal, to do the right things at the right time. Not everyone got healed. We've got resurrection stories, but the Bible isn't chock full of them. And there's much more I could say, but I'm not teaching on healing or necessarily even doing a full teaching on miracles today. But what I am saying is that whatever happens to Vic, we've prayed for him. We've prayed in faith. And when he goes down to Ann Arbor, what if the Lord chose to heal this and he didn't even have to have the surgery or will praise the Lord? What if the Lord would allow him to die? And what if God stirred up faith and Lori called and said, somebody from here, come and, and come, come to Ann Arbor. Would we go? Would we look at this body and if the Lord said after we prayed and if the Lord gave us encouragement to say, rise up, we would do it. And if the Lord takes Vic home, we will trust God's sovereignty and know that we have not lacked faith to pray for this man and to trust the Lord. But we want God to receive the glory. And so Vic, whatever happens... You tell those people in Ann Arbor how much Jesus loves them. Oh, you know that. Yeah? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you um, help us. And you help us no matter whether we're sitting on a boat and thinking about swimming or whether we're doing backflips off the diving board or whether we're in with a life ring and we're wondering how do we cooperate. Lord, would you teach us? And would you would you stir up a desire to see your kingdom come and you to do these signs, these these little um, samples of the, the kingdom that someday is coming in its fullness. And we thank you that you are coming in your fullness. And until that day, Lord, would you find faith in this church and in our hearts and growingly, increasingly in your church around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen.